everybody. Welcome to Tea Time with Jesse. I am here today with my very good friend, Thomas Telhelm. Hi, everybody. Uh, associate professor of, and we just talked about this. Behav behavioral science. <laughs> behavioral science. I, it's hard to know because he actually, his research goes a bunch of, bunch of different uh, topics and stuff. And we met when we were both Fulbright scholars in China in 2012 all the way back then when we were both very young. Uh, <laughs> a bit younger, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, he's also a tea guy. He's a researcher and an entrepreneur as well, making, um, making air filters and helping out people all throughout the developing world and now increasingly the developed world. Yeah, in the US too. <laughs> in the US as well. So we have a lot to talk about and I'm very excited, but um, if you wanna give everybody a brief introduction to yourself and sure. who you are. Yeah. Hi, uh, so yeah, my name is Thomas Tallhelm. I am an associate professor of behavioral science I'm at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, um, but don't let that fool you into thinking that I know anything about business, um, <laughs> despite also having a company. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, behavioral science is a fancy way of saying mostly psychology, mm. um, but I study culture, so I consider myself a cultural psychologist. Nice. Um, I've lived in China for seven years, uh, speak Chinese, um, got into tea while I was in China, so we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, researched cultural psychology and started an air purifier uh, social enterprise. Uh, nice. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Very cool. And, and uh, Thomas was one of the people when I wanted to go and like hang out at the tea market or whatever, just one of the people who like got it, you go there the whole day, you're gonna be yeah. there for a while. Uh, in fact, some of the early green teas that I got for mm -hmm. myself, they, they're not on the website, but like my own green tea, like, um, uh, collection really started with your green tea lady hmm. yeah. in Dao, who yeah. is like a half a minute walk away from my poor guy uh, who actually does have teas on the website. So we're going to drink this uh, Baozhong tea from Taiwan. Uh, this is a uh, tea that I got uh, while I was in uh, Pinglin, which is hmm. a city. It's, it's amazing. It's only half an hour from Taipei, uh, but it's like because they drill a tunnel through like a mountain, they get into like a mountain climate. So even though it's really close to Taipei, it's like uh, it's um, it's like, you know, they have tea farms there. That's cool. And it's, it's a really cool thing. So I got this tea um, and I think that you will enjoy it. This is a, uh, a they call it Qingxiangxing. So like the, uh, the sort of like uh, fragrant and fresh. And then for the second half, we'll try something darker and um, just be able to get a little bit of this thing. How did you get into tea? Like, cause you also were like me, right? You didn't drink tea back in the States. Never, uh, my parents didn't drink tea. And then I remember in college trying it once or twice. And mm -hmm. I think my first, first tea that I ever had was probably like a Lipton blueberry or oh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I was like, this, wow, yeah, yeah. how do people like this? This is terrible. So I really didn't like tea, um, but I didn't have much experience with it. And then I mm. went to China and one of the things you do when you go to China for the first time is mm -hmm. you go to like a, a tea house or something and people serve you. And I'm the type of person that, you know, if it's in front of me, I'm going to drink it or eat it. Yeah. Like I just, I, I hate wasting no food. Self -control. Yeah, no self-control. No self-control also. You, you, like, were, you were putting it like, I hate wasting food. I'm like, no self-control. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's also true. Yeah. Um, Maybe both true. Yeah. Um, and so I remember going to a tea house and I didn't understand the rule at the time, which mm. is, or the implicit rule which is that like, if you finish your cup, they're gonna pour you more, mm -hmm. you know? And so I just finished cup after cup after cup and I didn't drink coffee either. Mm. So no tea, no coffee, so I didn't drink Coke. Tea blasted, I like tea drunk. so buzzed. <laughs> I remember walking out of that place and just like, <laughs> okay, where are we going next? Like, oh, so that's the uh, the tea yeah. drunkenness. And it can happen actually, if especially if you're caffeine sensitive, 
um, it's good to maybe moderate the income or pour out the first steep as a wash. Although for these lighter, this is a oolong that's so light, it's kind of like a green tea. Right. And so they drink this, um, they drink this first steep for sure. So we're gonna give a tiny bit here to our tea pets just because everybody on the internet yells at me if I don't. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll pour for you here. Great. So it's uh, good to be able to have my old China friends back over for tea. The, the world has led us to many different places, and now you're in L.A. Yeah. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having Cheers. me. Cheers. Thanks Cheers. so much. I took a smell later, or a bit earlier, mm. and it's, it's so fragrant. Yeah, the, like the fragrance is really, really nice. That's the, one um, of the things with the oolongs. It's like, it, it's, it's a bouquet. It's, yeah. not, it's not sickeningly, it's not too flowery no. or anything, but... You smell here. Great. Uh, nice. Actually, oolong was mm. the first, thinking back to what really got me into tea, mm -hmm. this, this was it. Yeah, oolong, when like I first, light oolongs. When I first, you know, was at the tea houses and like slowly getting used to it, this was the thing where I was like, oh, I can get into that. Yeah. You know, so and this. Oolong has this like, it's got this light, fresh, clean flavor, but also it's got the, um, the huigan, the aftertaste. Hmm. That's like the thing that really separates the good teas from the bad teas, I find is like, a lot of them will taste good going down, but if you have a really good quality tea, you kind of get this sweet aftertaste. It kind of just like comes back, it comes back. It's, um, it's, the, it's the thing to drink. I feel like there's a, a thing about tea and also wine and beer and probably lots of things mm -hmm. where I feel like there's a common entry point, like mm -hmm. a type of it that most newbies are gonna like. Mm -hmm. And then there's the stuff that once you've had a lot more, you start to like. Mm -hmm. So with beer, it's, you know, lagers are the easy ones, yeah. right? Everybody can handle a lager. And then it might be like a wheat beer. It's kind of banana-y, fruity, yeah. it's pretty easy. And after you drink beer for a few years, then it's like, oh, give me the IPA. IPA, right? yeah. Give That's kind of like the, the raw pour. It's like, you know, it's got That's that it. bitterness, but it's like, it's that, that balance. I think it, it brings out a lot of other flavors. But there is something just really nice and refreshing about drinking this. Yeah. Because it's, um, it's like one of those classic, like, I like the mentality that they take towards tea, and, uh, which is like, find the best leaf you can, make it simply. And if you have good tea, you really don't have to do a whole lot else. That's it. That's basically it. And yeah. so this is why a lot of people ask me like, oh, can you have like honey or sugar in the tea? And it's like, there's no, like if you're going to go and find the good tea, there's not really a point in doing that because it kind mm -hmm. of does it by itself. It has that flavor in it. Yeah. So cheers. So very cool. So we uh, both met originally on the Fulbright Fellowship. That's right. Um, Fulbright for people who don't know, it's, um, it's like a State Department program where American scholars go to ch uh, different countries to study and then those countries send scholars to America. It's like academic exchange. And so I researched Chinese comedy in Xiangsheng. Um, and what was your research on? Yeah, so I researched cultural psychology at the time. I was a PhD student at the mm -hmm. University of Virginia. And my big idea that I was working on at the time was cultural differences within China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a researcher in cultural psychology. People talk about East-West differences all the time. You know, China and Japan are like this and U.S. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Germany, France are like that. But I had lived enough in China by that point to go like, wait a second, there, there's a lot of differences within yeah. China. And I'm not even talking about the far flung. I mean, like, you know. Tibet is very different. I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. even talking about that. I'm talking about even yeah. just East Coast. Within Han Chinese, like, yeah. you know. Because that was the thing. It's like in the comedy clubs, this is like, this is very obvious. Because mm. in the comedy clubs, yeah. like half of a Chinese comedy show is like people making fun of other provinces and how yeah, they act. Right. Or like yeah. Northerners being like, Bei Fang Ren Do Jiang, Nan Fang Ren Do Jiang, you know. Um, 
and like, you know, this, this province, these people, urban, rural, yeah. all of these things that you don't even need to get into different ethnicities within China. There's yeah. a lot of, um, there's so much richness, there. so much richness. And so this was, I guess, like you felt like a good area for research. You're like, Oh, it's very different. Why, why aren't people talking about it? Yeah. It was completely empty in cultural psychology. There really? was not a, there was not a cultural psychology of differences within China. That's fascinating. And the other thing that really drew me into it is I, I lived in Guangzhou yeah. for, for a year. I taught high school. Then I moved to Beijing. Mm -hmm. And especially at that time, mm -hmm. Guangzhou was noticeably wealthier than Beijing. Mm. This is like 2006, 2007, that, mm -hmm. that time. Like subways more developed, GDP's higher, more office buildings, stuff like that. Beijing felt a little bit more like almost like an urban village, mm. you know. And yet it was Beijing that felt more Western in a lot of ways. Mm. By Western, I don't mean like eating McDonald's or whatever. I mean like talking to strangers, mm. um, telling people what's on your mind. Just like I, culturally, the, the, the rules of the game. The were... social rules of what's going on. Mm. A little bit more Western, you know. So like I remember sitting in, if I would eat alone at a restaurant in Beijing, maybe a third of the time somebody would be like, Hey, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, like, are you going home for Chinese New Year? How much does yeah, yeah. the yeah. flight cost? You know, yeah, and all yeah. that. And then it'd be a conversation. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the where were you from? Yeah. And in Guangzhou, that like oh, that never happened. Really, it really never happened. There was curiosity. Like people would, you know, look at me, and you know, but people wouldn't start the conversation. And so the the thing that really hooked me with that was to say, wait a second. I, I think a lot of us associate sort of Western ways of being with modernization and wealth and yeah. like as a, as a it's so easy to say as china modernizes it's becoming more yeah. western or becoming more individualistic but these two cities seemed like the contradiction of that mm. guangzhou was wealthier it had those connections to hong kong mm. and the outside world yeah. and yet it felt more sort of chinese if i yeah. can say that in the sense of like shy around strangers mm. yeah. and, and for those of you who don't know guangzhou all the way in the south beijing basically all the way in the north yeah. So, so like, you know, th there's a lot of land between them, but at the other hand, like, you know, China as a political entity has been unified, you know, in some sort of way for 2000 years, mm -hmm. you know, actually, I don't know if they got that far down. The, the Qin dynasty probably didn't get all the way down. Not, Guangzhou, yeah. Guangzhou, but, but, but that area. South. Yeah. But, but you, you wouldn't expect that sort of, um, difference. And so that kind of got you interested in studying the differences within Chinese culture. And then what did that lead to? Yeah. So I, I, first I just had this idea like, okay, there's, there's differences between North and South broadly. Mm -hmm. One of the questions I had after that is like, okay, where, mm. you know, like, okay, Beijing, I got that. Guangzhou, I got that. Shanghai, I'd spent some time there. That's Southern, mm -hmm. feels sort of Southern. And I was a freelance journalist for a year and I took classes at the Beijing Language and Culture University. Yep, yep, the LCU. LCU. Also, yeah. I spent two months there. Yeah. I'm sort of an alumni. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm mildly an alumni. Yeah, exactly, I'm very mild, <laughs> yeah. very mild. But yeah, so you were at BLCU. And I, I found, a, they, they gave me classes there, mm -hmm. um, and I thought all the classes were really boring. So then I found, I just started sitting in on other classes at the university, mm -hmm. and I found one on dialects mm. in China. Fangyan. Yeah. And it, it, you weren't like learning how to speak the dialects, but you were learning about them. Where do mm -hmm. they come from? Why are they different? What are the differences between them? And I was like, wow, this is really cool because people don't study that in China mm. very much. Yeah. Dialects are something that you forget, mm. that you get rid of right mm. now. At this moment in history, it's, you want to get rid of those, right? Mm. I mean, you've probably talked to people in China whose yeah. parents speak a dialect, but then they never spoke if the dialect to the If you go to the tea to the fields, 
if you go to the real rural areas where the T is, a lot of times the R generation mm -hmm. is who you're talking to. And if you try to talk to somebody even one generation above, you're really pulling teeth. Like um, they struggle to speak what they would call standard Mandarin. So like when you go to those places, they don't say, wow, your Chinese is so good. They say, wow, you sure the help Yeah. They, like, they say like, wow, you speak very standard. Because so to them, they're, they, you know, they're not linguists. They're just like, you speak like the television and we don't. And, um, and they don't necessarily analyze it past that, which is also fascinating to me because it's like these, some of these dialects are so completely different that, that you could totally just call them other languages. Like oh, if, you, sure. if you didn't tell people this, this was a dialect versus a language, you would, uh, you know, I speak Mandarin very well. And there are lots of dialects that I just have no hope mm -hmm. at all in hearing anything out of. Yeah. Um, so you, so you studied this class on dialects and then what did you get out of it? So we're in this class on dialects and at one point our, our teacher is telling us about some minor difference in Chinese. It's, it's the character show mm -hmm. means hand. Mm -hmm. If you look in the dictionary, it means hand. Mm -hmm. But our teacher said, you know, in some parts of China, it can refer to the whole arm. Mm -hmm. So like if you got hit with a ball here, yeah. you might say, oh, my show. Mm -hmm. show yeah. yeah, exactly. Show, show yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so he was showing us a map of like they went, people went around China. Mm -hmm. Where is it only hand and where is it also sometimes arm? And he showed us this map of China with like, I don't know if it's like red dots and blue dots or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the, the difference split almost perfectly on the Yangtze River. Really? So it was like north of the Yangtze River, only hand. South of the Yangtze River also could mean arm. Yeah. And I think the other students in the class, there's probably like 15 kids, master mm. students. They were probably like, yeah, whatever. Okay, next. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, my mind is on fire. Like yeah. I'm my mind's spinning. Cause I, you know, I've been thinking about these cultural differences for so many years, maybe three, four years at that point. And you know, it's, the brain is hard to measure. Mm -hmm. Culture is hard to measure, but where people are speaking the same. You kind of have a, now you have an in. That's an in, right? You know. It'd be weird if culture was this way and language was that way, yeah, right? Yeah. Like they should fall on the same lines or, or close, yeah. right? And so I was like, well, whatever that line is, mm -hmm. that must be the key. Mm -hmm. These differences that I've been living, and, and a lot of people have been living in China, it probably falls along the lines of whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there in, the, in that class, and I really had the sense that at that moment, like my life had changed. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to figure out what that line represented historically. Mm -hmm. And so at first I was like, oh, is it, is it like a border? I mean, in a coarse yeah. way, yeah. And like, why is India so different from China? It's like, well, there's mountains in the way, right? And so yeah. that's why the cultures are so yeah. different. But really, the Yangtze River is, it, it, for Americans, it's kind of like the Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not that. You can get over it. It's not the Himalayas. Yeah. It's not yeah. the Himalayas. Not yeah. a hard river to get over. Yeah. So it's like, okay, it's, it wasn't, you know, dividing. It wasn't keeping people out. Yeah. And so it must have been something different. And you know, I, so I had that idea on, on, on my head. And I, I learned in the, the months after that, that's pretty much the rice wheat dividing line in China. Mm. So Yangtze River in south is rice, north is wheat and other crops like millet and later corn and soybeans, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so that, that was really the moment where I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's probably where these cultural differences are coming from. Because mm. I want to document not just that there are differences. I mean, that's what psychologists do. Yeah. We can you know, test people and, and, and yeah. show that it's more interesting just... if you have a theory for why the differences exist in the first place. That was sort of my whole thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I felt like cultural psychology had done a lot of documenting differences. I wanted to get a little bit deeper and go, okay, where do these differences come from? Mm. And to me, 
the thing that people have been doing for thousands of years, that's a good place to start. Like, where mm -hmm. would culture come from? Oh, well, you know, 90% yeah. of people were doing this. Yeah. You know, you were farming rice or you're farming wheat. You know, every, almost everybody in a village would be doing this mm -hmm. thousands of years. Seems like a good place to start, mm -hmm. right? You know, would it be in ancient, should we go look in ancient books and stuff like that? Books mm -hmm. that most people weren't reading? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, should we go to temples? Like, ah, Well, I, I love this, yeah. this way of thinking because this is like, as a comedian, I think a lot of times people will downplay the sort of popular art. They'll say like, well, you know, let's look at the literati and not what was in the comedy club. But I was like, the comedy club people every day are trying to figure out what's most important and interesting mm -hmm. to people. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you, I never did this, but I th always thought it'd be a great idea for a column in a newspaper where just like every day I go to a comedy club and I talk about one joke people are talking about. Mm. Because it's like, they, like, the comedians sometimes bomb, sometimes they do well, but they're always looking for what actually matters to people today. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that kind of gets lost in the, in the literature, you know? Mm -hmm. Like people in the literature, they live in their own sphere. And so you might get what was important to people in, in that sphere, yeah. but not in the whole sphere. So for agriculture, especially in a place like China, which yeah. was so agrarian for so long, yeah. and actually continues to be very yeah. agrarian, yeah. Um, it's, it's almost like the comedy club of culture mm -hmm. is the, the agriculture, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so this seemed like a good place to start. And then what did you, what did you find when you started digging into the, um, the, the rice versus wheat places? Yeah, so I, I started looking into the anthropology of, okay, what was it like to be in a rice village? How, how did people farm rice? Mm -hmm. How did people farm wheat? And could that be related to cultural differences? And it was like everything that I read about rice farming was like, oh, that makes complete sense with life in southern China right so like, now. Can you give an example? Like One what? example is that like rice depends on irrigation networks. Mm. So you have like you know a river and then you divert the river and then that uh, adds water to the fields of the yeah. different farmers. Um, in contrast wheat relies on rainfall. Okay. So like we're just there it rains and okay. Yeah. You can imagine that having this system that we manage together requires us to coordinate our behavior. Mm. Right? It, how much water I use affects how much water you can use. Yep. Uh, in a lot of these systems, I can't personally decide when to flood or drain the fields. Um, I, I forgot to mention that rice grows in standing water, so you're yep. like flooding the fields. I can't, as a single farmer, decide because it's a shared system. And so even if I think today's the best day to flood the field, if everybody around me disagrees, I yeah. just have to do the thing that everybody else wants. Or you to get do. ostracized because you flooded the field for everybody when it was good for you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> your, your behavior has a lot of those consequences yeah. towards other people. Mm. And so I, I, I call it um, coordination. Mm. Like, I think coordination is a, a key element of rice farming that, you know, not to say that wheat farming had no coordination, yeah. but it's, it's much less so than, than in rice farming. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, think of that coordination having to depend on other people in rice farming. And then think of like my life in Guangzhou where it's like, oh, people would, you know, if they had a thought that they thought might offend me, eh, maybe not say that. Yeah. Like know? this is not helping coordination to just make people angry. This could rock the boat. Yeah. You know? Even if it's like, even if it doesn't necessarily, like, it may not, it may be, or another way to say the, the punishment for being uncoordinated is higher. I think you, that's right. You yeah. know, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, so in a lot of these areas, um, uh, you know, another, I remember you also told me an example of a Starbucks experiment you did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell, tell people about the Starbucks experiment. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, so the, you know, the, the normal way that a psychologist would do studies like this and what I did in the beginning 
you take people to the lab, you give them cognitive tests and, you know, tests on a computer, paper, stuff like that. I did all that. But when I was on the Fulbright, I was like, oh, you know, I have, I have time to really spend in China. I want to do a study in everyday life. Because, mm. you know, this psychology, I was inspired by seeing things in restaurants and on buses and stuff like that. And so I was, you know, I had that year in, mm. in, on the Fulbright. And I was like, all right, I, I want to find some way to, to elicit these differences in everyday life. And one day I was at a cafe in Beijing mm -hmm. and a person sitting, you know, across the table, um, one table over and across, they got up and as they got up, they kind of like pushed their chair back. And about a minute later, uh, Fu Yuan, um, mm -hmm. uh, like a server, yeah. Yeah. comes over and she squeezes behind the chair mm. without moving it. And I was like, that's, that's, that's a very it. interesting action. That yeah. was like, that's, that's it. Yeah, like in that little action is people's psychology, mm. right? Do you push the chair or do you accommodate yourself to the environment? And again, mm. think back to the, to the rice village. Mm -hmm. In one, you know, we're all interconnected. My behavior affects yours. Yep. You fit in, mm. right? You don't impose yourself on other people. You're in an environment where you have to adjust to the social environment, you know, the world around yeah. you. Somebody might be sitting in that chair. Exactly. Like, I don't, like yeah. I'm not going to go push it back in if somebody yeah. is sitting there, you know. Maybe they'll get mad. Maybe they'll get mad. Maybe somebody was using it. I don't know. Mm. And, it's, and I think it's like it's, it's a split second default. They're not thinking about it hard, but there's something going on mm. when, they, when they see that. And it had this element, too, of like it, there's a lot of neat little psychological things in daily life if you pay attention for it. But the key that this had was I could go around China and I could replicate that scenario. So you can go to Starbucks and put chairs in the, in the middle of the, the everywhere, lane. Everywhere. Right? I, and so that's what I did. So I spent a year, basically, going all around China and pushing chairs so that they were partially blocking the aisle. <laughs> and then I would sit nearby, on my, you know, pretend to be on my computer, but yeah. really I'm observing other people. Hmm. And I would just count how many people go through the chairs and move it or how many people go through and they adjust mm. their body and, and mm. squeeze through. Mm. Did anybody in the whole study, like NPC style, just keep walking through the chair? Just like, <laughs> like you know, like, like, like uh, back and forth. Yeah, like, you know, just like straight through, not even moving it, just like bam, through. Oh, and like, uh, kicking yeah. it over. Nobody, you nobody know. Nobody did that? Nobody did that. No, but no total monsters? There were a few times when a, an employee would come by and like notice that this chair was like conspicuously out of place. Yeah. And they'd go like, are, are you using this chair? And I just sheepishly, no, no, I'm not using it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'd go away and then I'd like- Put the chair back. <laughs> I'd put it back. And then they'd come back, you know, 15 minutes later and they'd be like, are you using this? And I'm oh, like, funny. then I'd eventually- So, so what were the results? Yeah, so the, you know, the basic idea is that, you know, fitting in means you don't move the chair. In Guangzhou, where I taught high school, it was um, something like 3% of people move the chair. I mean, that's a really boring study mm. to run. Mm. I mean, 97 people don't move the chair and 3% do. Uh, Shanghai is similar, Hong Kong is similar, like 5%. Uh, the Hong Kong example to me is really nice because it's, it's in yeah. the rice area of China. People think it should be this like super individualistic place, but I, I think anybody who's spent time there is mm. like, it, it has these elements of Western culture, but socially, you know, people don't, people aren't individualistic, like New York yeah. jerks, you know, yelling yeah. at people in traffic. And I'm stuff. walking it's, here. Yeah, it's, it's not that, right? It's yeah. Singapore is similar, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I go up to Beijing and I'm doing the first Starbucks mm -hmm. uh, location that I'm going to test at. Mm. And first chair, first Starbucks, 
A woman walks by, she's maybe like 40, 50, mm-hmm. sees the chairs, and audibly, mm. hmm, like that, makes that, <laughs> hmm, right? And uh, if I can rewind, in Guangzhou, when, when somebody would move the chair, so the few that did move the chair, they'd like kind of- Very surreptitiously. Slight. You'd yeah. have to like really notice, like, did they move the chair, right? Yeah. This woman, no. One hand, second hand, that <laughs> chair's <laughs> out of there. That chair's out of there. No, no, my job's done. That's it. Down. Yeah. it so, felt so comfortable to me. I was yeah. like, oh, that's, that's the Beijing that I know and yeah. love. It's like, <laughs> you know, and, and to me, I think, if I can read into her actions there, yeah. I think there's a sense of like justice in it. Yeah. Like, that shouldn't be there. Yeah. That's it, right? It's, al- it's almost, weirdly enough, pro-social it in is. that sense. It is. It's yeah. to say, like, you know, like, well, somebody's got to move this back because it's in the way. You know, That's but, it. but it is, but that fear of taking that first action is yeah. not there. Yeah. It's like, do you stick your neck out? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think it's like pro-social or anti-social, right? Cause mm. for that woman who moved the chairs, it doesn't really benefit her to move the chairs, mm. right? Like she spent more time and effort to move these chairs. She's helping like the greater good or strangers yeah. or something like that. Mm. Right. Um, societal order you know, yeah, like, ah, yeah, it, yeah it is some, it reminds me of like sometimes I'm on the street and there's like a, a public shared bike yeah. that somebody's left in the middle of the sidewalk yeah and it's like it's easiest to walk around it but yeah. sometimes I'm that that yeah. determined guy who's like yeah. no this shouldn't be here and I yeah you know and I move it it's yeah. it's a personal cost actually mm-hmm. so but yeah. yeah, so so then and then so what what was the end result? How many people out of a hundred in Beijing would move the chair? Oh, I forgot to even say yeah, in Beijing it was closer to twenty percent. Okay, so about one out of five. So still not a majority. But but that's significantly you know three four times difference. Yeah, you know that's yeah. the sort of thing that I don't understand the the uh, how psychology does you know si- statistical significance, but that would be significant. I'm yeah, guessing. you know we had to do I say we because we yeah. had a whole research team. Uh, obviously I have to do statistics and then I had to train other people to do this because mm-hmm. one of the big things you want to do is make sure that, you know, it's consistent. It's consistent. And also that you're not biasing your own results because you like, I have expectations, right? Mm-hmm. I know what I think Northerners are like. And so what I did is I took a, a research assistant, uh, who's a student at a university in China, trained him, mm-hmm. Looming was his name, uh, train looming. All right. All right, looming. Let's go to a Starbucks. I'll teach you how to push the chairs together. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sent him off to around all around China to, mm-hmm. to do the study. Mm-hmm. And he had to like, you know, be that guy who the employees were hassling <laughs> all around China. So yeah, all told we inconvenienced something like 800 people around China, <laughs> um, with these, these chair traps and, you know, eventually published it. And yeah, that's great. So that's, so th- I love this idea about going about culture that way, because, um, I will sometimes have a joke about like intercultural stuff that works for the audience, but then as a kind of more as a researcher or like a scholar, I'll mm-hmm. think like, I don't really think that would hold up. Mm-hmm. Like people believe it, mm-hmm. but I don't really think that, I, I almost feel like this interpretation is more popular than the reality mm-hmm. it reflects, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so it, it always is, um, it's fascinating to see the amount of work and labor it yeah. takes into actually figuring out that problem. And then if you did this in a comedy show and you said that, people might still think like, oh, I think he's wrong. Yeah. Like, uh, so yeah. how do you, I, I, maybe this is not a big problem for you, but how do you deal with the fact that people seem so sure about what their culture is yeah. and yet no one's done that mm-hmm. for, you know, name anything mm-hmm. that people say that the culture reflects. Nobody's done that serious 
research about it and had the numbers. Do you just think that like we're walking around with like mostly inaccurate guesses about what our culture is like, and or or are we actually better at this than we think? Yeah, I I'm on the I'm on the team that we're people are generally more accurate than we we'll, than at least than researchers like to think. Yeah. Like one of my favorite pastimes in China is like if, if I'm on a train, mm -hmm. let's say going from Beijing to Shanghai. Yep. Chances are the person sitting next to me has spent time in both cities. Mm -hmm. And so then I'll say, what do you think? Like, oh, you're from the South. What do yeah. you think of people in the North? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're from the North. What do you think of people in the South? Mm -hmm. And that sort of informal uh, impressions of the culture. Yeah. I find people are, they're generally pretty accurate. They know what they're talking about, right? Yeah. And how much of that is a stereotype? How much of that is their own personal experience? But I would say they broadly agree. The, the one area where they really disagree is Li Mao. Mm. Who's polite and who's impolite. Mm. So they all agree that Northerners are more outgoing, talkative, you know, gregarious, and Southerners are sort of shy mm. and, and like holding things in, introverted. But both sides think that the other side is impolite. Yeah. <laughs> and Which... I, feel like, I feel like that's because, well, what is polite What is mean, polite? Right? You know? Well, this is the sort of thing. It's like, you know, for instance, like if you, as you said with the tea, somebody's pouring you tea. That's their way of being polite. If your mm. glass is empty, I've already failed. Really, <laughs> yeah. I should be refilling it here, even uh -huh. in your hand before sure. you run out. Um, because to me, as a tea person, that's my way of being polite. But if you were... Let's say that you were somebody who's like, I don't want to drink that much caffeine or whatever. Mm -hmm. You just had this in your head that you didn't want to keep drinking. Like, you know, the, the correct way to do that, potentially in Chinese culture, is literally to turn the cup over. Uh, yes. Now, like, I, I have given you such a clear clue that I do not want to drink any more tea by turning this cup over. Mm -hmm. But, like, somebody might see, like, that's really rude. Like, I would never, mm -hmm. like, go to, like eat dinner at your house and to mm. show that I'm done, like start washing the dishes by myself or whatever. You could do that, but it yeah. would be like, I'm trying to be polite and help you, but it's not for the uh, purpose of saying I'm, I'm full, uh -huh. you know? And, um, but at the same time, like, so, so somebody might have their cup refilled and refilled and refilled and they say, these people are trying to, like, they're trying to cheat me. They're going to be charging me by the cup or mm. something like that. Mm. I don't know what's going on, but yeah. it's like, maybe it's not polite, you know? Um, so like, that's all up for interpretation, yeah. you know? Can I offer an, an yes. insight into the, the yeah. turning the cup over? I think that's a great example of yeah. that. I, I learned this years ago in China. I, I don't think that there's a good way to translate the word offer mm. in English into Chinese. Mm. Or another example is the word rang yeah. in Chinese. Yeah. Sometimes that means to make somebody do something. Yeah. And sometimes it means to let yeah. somebody do something. Yeah. Which I think to an American is crazy that those are the same words. Yeah. Because the autonomy yeah. of the other person is really critical yeah. in English. Do you want to do this or do you not want yeah. to do this? But that word rung in Chinese, mm. it, it ignores whether you yeah. want to do this or not, right? Yeah. And what's, what is offer, right? Offer is also like, I will present this to you. Yeah. Do you want it or not? Yeah. Right? And I, I think that's the weird thing in, in Chinese is that why is that concept weird in Chinese? Because you, you give, mm. right? And giving is not an aut autonomous thing, yeah. right? You, I give something to if, you. If you were required to give it, it would be a service. It's not a gift. You exactly. Know? And so it's, all, it's interesting because in Chinese, if you're, you know, you're driving your electric bike and people are in the middle, you say, rang lu, rang lu. Mm, yeah. Rang, like give, rang the road, mm -hmm. which in some ways means get out of my way. And in other ways means 
open the way so that mm -hmm. I can go. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's almost both at once of saying, simultaneously you should leave the space, but also that space should have been opened in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And so it's, um, it, it is, there a lot of things after living in China many, many years, when you can't come up offhand with a great translation, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, well, yeah. people must not say it that way. Because uh -huh, like uh -huh. the offer, I don't know, like Qingqiu, like very, yeah. very like request, but like yeah. very, um, it's very like um, literary. Like mm. nobody would ever, like, you know, even in, uh, even if you say like, oh, Qingwen, like, you know, like, mm -hmm. excuse me, or the, we translate that as excuse me. It literally means, may I, like, you know, please ask, mm -hmm. may I ask. Um, very rarely will you see anybody ask that, like, yeah. say that. It's like very formal. Yeah. Um, you're just kind of ask the question. Yeah. Um, and so there's th these sorts of like translation gaps, like, do those alert you to say there might be some interesting oh, yeah. cultural thing there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, those are the the greatest places to start. I think for cultural mm. differences, they're mm. uh, and so fun as a as a language mm. as a language learner. One of the other ones, I don't know if you've ever thought about this question before, mm. but oftentimes, you know, um, you know, in the, um, uh, Indiana Jones, the movie, mm -hmm. one of the old ones, there's like an invisible bridge that he has to walk out on, mm. and he like spreads some sand so he can see the the bridge, and then eventually yeah. he has to just kind of like step blindly. Yeah. You know how you do that when you're like mm. creating a Chinese sentence? Yeah. You like put some words out and then yeah. you're like, oh, I hope I can fit the last word yeah. in there. Yeah. And then sometimes you get there and you're like, I don't mm. have the word that need that I need to finish the sentence, right? Yeah. I find that when I when that happens in Chinese, often I want a noun. Mm. Like I've created the sentence so that there's a noun that should go there mm -hmm. and I can't find it. Mm. And what I have to do is like pull up the planks, yeah. get back to land. And you say, like, that wasn't the way they would have thought about sharing this idea. Exactly. You know? And what goes in there is oftentimes a verb. Mm. So, like, what, what should have been a, in my head, should have been a noun. You have an example of what you're yeah, thinking? Yeah, so like... one is, um, it's hard to translate the word cause, mm. meaning, like, what's the cause of cancer? Mm -hmm. Something like that. As a noun, mm -hmm. there's not really a good way to say that in mm -hmm. Chinese. But mm. there's tons of ways to say that as a verb. Mm. So you could say this is this dao zhi, mm. like that leads to that, yeah. or this chan sheng yeah. that, right? Yeah. A verb, right? There's so many ways to say that as a verb, mm -hmm. and there's I've I haven't found a good way to say that as a noun. Yeah, yin qi le shen me shen me, but that's yeah, a verb. But yeah. that's a verb. So it's like yeah, because I huh. So what I mean, do you do you then take this to say something about the culture as a whole that you know? that, you know, nouns themselves are processes rather than, you, yeah. know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the yeah. result is irrelevant without knowing the process that led to it. Does that make sense? I, so this, <laughs> this, this is the lesson that I drew out of that. At, at the same time as I was doing the Fulbright, I was also doing freelance academic editing. So basically like professors would have the papers they're submitting to a journal, they'd send it to me and I'd edit them. And I found that to make the writing better, often what I was doing was they'd make a bunch of nouns and I would undo the nouns and put them into verbs. Mm. So here's an example. Uh, participate in gambling activities mm -hmm. was one. Um, engage in voting behavior, mm -hmm. right? Was yeah, yeah. Um, do you mean vote? Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. That should just yeah. be one word and it's a verb, right? Mm. Participate in gambling activities. You mean gamble, right? Mm. Like 
weirdly. But it's like the participation was the verb and then the activity yeah. you almost had to have. Also, sometimes in Chinese grammar, you have like almost like a, a block on either end of things. Like, you know, yin wei, so yi. Like you mm -hmm. have to have an A and then a B. And so sometimes like when you have certain verbs, you have to have a noun, but the, the noun just kind of grammatically has to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's the verb that's doing the real punching. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, so, yeah, so, so, I mean, it's fascinating. I think that these are the sort of things, it, it's almost like comedy in the sense that mm -hmm. these are the sort of things like that would happen that I'd notice and I'd say like, you know, engage in voting activities. You mean vote? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, oh, like yeah, it's yeah. A, you're almost at a joke already, uh -huh, uh -huh. you know, and, it's uh, these little things that made it so fun to do comedy between the cultures. And now even coming back here to mm -hmm. the States, um, you know, these are the things I'm kind of almost noticing about our own country. And like, you know, things that I think regular people take for granted. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes like you'll have this, um, like you'll have these fancy, like the stoplights, there's like a stop and a walk guy. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they have like the walk figure actually walking. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, was anybody not aware that like that was the <laughs> yeah. walk thing? Like we yeah. had to literally animate this like uh -huh. in order to make it happen. And then I, I start thinking about like, um, you know, like why is it that we just keep overdoing this stuff and making it like, you know, um, making it more complicated. Whereas like in China, the last time I went back, there were new streetlights in Beijing. Mm -hmm. I was away long enough I didn't uh, that they had replaced the streetlights and they had replaced it with an actual functional new light that was a bicycle green and a bicycle red. Oh, nice. So like this is like the bikes are go, but the cars are stop. And that was actually really useful in Beijing. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I've ever seen stuff like that here in LA, but maybe that's just because they didn't build the city for the bike. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. we, uh, we're running out of time in this first half. We're about to take a little bit of a break. Um, but again, thanks, uh, Thomas, for coming. We're going to be back in just a moment drinking another tea. And I'll see you in just a moment. I'm Jesse. I'm Thomas. And we'll see you soon. It's time for battle with the new fun mobile game, Battle of Battles. Battle your friends, your enemies, and even other battles. And maybe after your 10th, 100th, or 1,000th battle, you'll realize that violence doesn't really solve anything. So many battles. And what comes of it? More battles. It's like, we don't want to battle, but we don't know how not to battle. So if you're battling and battling and don't want to battle, maybe try some really good tea, like Jesse's Tea House. Jesse gets his teas straight from small tea shops and tea farmers in China and puts them into a subscription service. Just use the code JESSEPOD for $10 off your first order of $30 or more and stop this endless battling. God damn. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Tea Time with Jesse. I am Jesse here with Thomas Talhelm. Hi, everybody. Uh, cultural expert, professor, Chinese speaker, um, and also a uh, man who takes dirty air and makes it less <laughs> yes. dirty. Um, right. So th this was kind of the, the funny thing, like I get, to saw, I get to see this happening in real time when I was living in China, um, was the birth of smart air. Um, so yeah. real quickly, what is smart air? Yeah, smart air is a social enterprise that I started in China. We make low cost air purifiers and we have educational workshops to teach people about air pollution, how to protect themselves, how to build their own air purifier. That's pretty much it. Very cool stuff. Air purifiers were a big deal in China. We'll go kind of through what it used to be like before smart air um, and before kind of the, the cheap air purifier revolution. Cause yeah. they, they used to have them in like the US embassy and they were like $8,000 a yeah. giant thing. And it, was, it yeah. was kind of a thing. So we'll get through that. But before we do that, we got to start to have the second tea. Nice. Um, I asked Thomas what he wanted. He said he hadn't had any good pour in a while. And so I figured I would uh, make you the, the 2010, this is my friend Doyle's 2010 reserve 
uh, Shopur tea. Very, very nice. It's, um, tear off a little piece here. It's actually packed really loose, which I like in the cakes. Nice. We also sell these in uh, 50 gram bags. So like we actually pay people to chop apart the, uh, the, <laughs> the uh, cakes and put them into smaller bags because it helps. It helps. It's like, it's, it's kind of like, it's funny. Everybody in China is like, what do you mean you want us to hack apart the cakes? Yeah. Like just have people buy a whole cake. And I'm like, Americans are not going to spend that much money on tea. Um, especially like a show poor that they haven't tried before. Yeah. Um, but for people that love it, we're, we're here for it, so. It's a big commitment. The, the whole yeah. cake is a, mm -hmm. is a, it's gonna last a long time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here we are, and give it a little bit of a steep. First wash. For the, for the age poor, I usually do a wash and, and kind of get a chance to try that smell. Mm. That good? Very rich. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, very rich. The, um, this is like a very like, um, uh, very like powerful, like a uh, dark, you know, rich tea. Uh, the cooked poor taste is not to everybody's flavor. Yeah, I gotta get the animals, especially now that we have the uh, that we have the pork here. You can pour on whichever animals you would like. This is chonky horse. Okay, and that's Pendor. He is kind of chonky. Yeah, chonky. He's he's thick. <laughs> Look at that, boy. The, like my best. Um, like Instagram post of all time is just a picture of him on my hand. And I said, Oh Lord, he coming. <laughs> and like that got more likes than anything else I've done in the entirety of running the channel. It was, um, it was a, he, he was a, a big success. People love the chonky horse. Um, by but the by way, the way, if people are, 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 um, in the position to drink tea yourselves, get out your tea, join us for the second half of the show. Um, we are happy to have you sitting with us. Um, I was gonna say this. This puar totally makes sense to do second yeah. when you suggested that. Like, yeah, you don't want to start with a puar and then yeah. move to something lighter. Generally, like, some, yeah. Sometimes people ask like, how do you if you're doing multiple teas in a day, or if you have friends over and you want to try like we have an eight tea sampler. Hmm. So like you get eight different teas. If you have your friends come over, you should try two, three, four different teas. Like give them a try. I generally like going from lighter to darker. Yeah. Um, and then like you know from sweeter to more complex or rich. Yeah. Very I would nice. describe this as like earthy yeah. i mean i i feel like that can sound bad but like no mm. it's it's pleasant it's like, like it's a pleasant earthiness and especially once you're once you know it's going to taste different than other tea you've had yeah. before yeah then you're kind of like there for it and it's very warming to the stomach so this is what i drink if i have like stomach problems as you well. know i mm. i would sometimes in in the winter in beijing mm -hmm. cheers thanks for the tea yes um Sometimes in the winter in Beijing, I would get one of those roasted sweet potatoes on the street, and then I'd just like, I'd eat the whole thing, and it'd yeah. be like too much. I'd like yeah. overeat. I would have been like super hungry, and then I'm like, now I'm like way too full. Yeah. And there was a little tea place that's now shut down years ago, um, but I would get the puar yeah. after that. And it, puar just seems like a good after meal tea yep. to me, in a, in a way that a green tea, I just like not... Yep. That's this is also story. like if you go to a lot of dim sum restaurants, they serve really weak puar, hmm. partially because they're just re-steeping it the whole time. Yeah. They're not like they're not making it's not a tea house. They're not making it for the tea to yeah. be amazing. But for whatever reason, weak puar, I feel, goes really well with dim sum. Hmm. Maybe it's just that I have a lot of positive memories of eating mm -hmm. dim sum and drinking that tea. But it's like it has enough flavor that it's not water. But it's also, when it's weak like that, it's not trying to overwhelm the flavor of the food. Yeah. When you make it like this, you're having it for tea. Mm -hmm. um, so it is rich. What do you think of that? Yeah, good? this is really good. It's really strong, very full-bodied. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's very, nothing weak about this. Very smooth. Yeah, this is definitely one of the... Uh, Dueda is a real good guy. He's one of my original tea buddies 
for years and years and years. He would um, he took me to um, all these different great tea mountains. Last time I was back, we went to Laobanjiang, we went to Bingdao, mm. we went to all these places. He he drove this like this like ten person Lincoln Navigator through the tea mountains, and every time <laughs> we took a turn, he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna take this like." He should like it's already hard to like take a wide turn on those things. He like didn't care. He'd be going right down the middle of the two way road, and I, and every time we were gonna hit a turn, I was like, and this is how I die. Yeah. And we make it yep. through one more turn, and like 15 seconds later, I'd be like, and this is how I die. And then it was just like that for hours. I remember um, <laughs> taking a taking a bus in Yunnan province mm. in the part that's like kind of near Tibet. Yeah. And this is like you know remote in the mountains and there were parts where there had been landslides oh. or like rock slides mm -hmm. over the over the road oh, and so no. the road you know should be flat but now it has this part where rocks Ooh. are and so it's angled and i was in the bus on the window seat yeah and it would go over and the right side of the bus would rise more than the left side and what that would give me is a wonderful view of the cliff that we would oh. fall down if this was a little bit too much. Yeah. And so it was just like, oh, and could die. And yeah. then now we're back to the, 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 uh, the Yeah, that, that sort of, I mean, I avoided that experience the first time I went on a long-term bus in Yunnan because I took the sleeper bus. So I went to sleep and I was like, either I wake up or I don't. If I wake <laughs> up, great. I'm in, I'm in Yunnan, yeah. I'm, I'm down the T-hills. If I don't, I probably won't know. So... Yeah, either way, I win, right? Yeah. And I saved a bunch of money over flying to Jinghong from Kunming. <laughs> yeah. a, a bunch of money at the time seemed like a real, like, important decision. And now, like, coming back and dealing with American prices, I was yeah. like, I really did risk my life to save, like, whatever, 80 bucks or whatever yeah. it was. Five bucks. <laughs> anyway, um, getting back into Smart Air. So, yeah. um, so basically, for those who uh, don't know, the air pollution is a big problem in Beijing. Not just in Beijing, but really, like, mm -hmm. a lot of places around the world, I think people don't. Yeah. necessarily recognize how much stuff there is in the air. That's right. And so like, um, how did the idea to like do air purifiers yeah. start? Also on the Fulbright. So mm -hmm. we were there 2012, 2013. Mm. You know, Beijing has had an air pollution problem for a while, but in, I want to say it was January, 2013, it, it got so bad yeah. that it was in news. The, the was... fell winter of 2012. I remember this. That was our that was our first. Yeah, that was when we were there on Fulbright. Yep. We hit 500 AQI regularly on the reg, um, and uh, there was a um, there was a there was a brewery called Jing A, which yep. had a beer called Air Apocalypse, and they would discount the beer if the air pollution was really bad because no one was going out to the yeah. bar because yeah. you would walk outside, you would inhale, you get headaches, uh, you just couldn't see anything. And you'd be walking out in this fog, and it's one. And for whatever reason, it was so much more demoralizing than like going to San Francisco in this fog. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like it, it felt very unnatural. So, um, yeah. So we were so Beijing smoggy. Yeah, Beijing smoggy. Uh, you know, you talk about symptoms. I mm. kept thinking I was getting colds. Mm. Be like, oh, I got a sore throat. I'm coughing. But then it, I'd have it for a few days, and then it would get better, and then I'd have it again, and then it would get better, and then. I, eventually I was like, I don't think this is a cold. Like, mm. this is something different. And then, you know, the air apocalypse happened. And I went out to buy an air purifier. Mm -hmm. And the one that everybody was buying back in the day, I don't know if you mm -hmm. were aware of this uh, or remember this, the IQ Air yep. was the one that, that everybody bought. It cost like $1,000. They were really expensive. And it was, um, and they were big. Huge. And um, it, was, it was definitely made... 
it, it, like air purifiers back then had the feel of a luxury item. It's like if you went into a place and they wanted to impress you about how much money they had, mm -hmm. they would have an air purifier running mm -hmm. because it's like only, only, only us get to have the nice air. <laughs> yeah. And you can see it in their ads. Like their, their ads would, would be like a, a Swedish family with blonde hair and white furniture, you know, like yeah. who gets white furniture, you know, yeah. especially in a polluted place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, like the blonde children are playing with this white furniture and the IQ air is, is there. Mm. But, you know, I, we were just there on the Fulbright. Yeah. Also breathing air. Yeah. And don't have a thousand dollars to spend on this. Yeah. I often joke that the Fulbright is really prestigious, but the yeah. pay is not prestigious. No. Right. Yeah. Like you don't get paid that much money. Yeah, somebody called me a Fulbright welfare queen once, oh, yeah. and I was like, "That first of all, thank you for my Halloween costume. <laughs> um, and second of all, we didn't make a lot of money. It was uh, like, you know, Fulbright was unbelievably fundamental in helping me start my life, and I would not be here doing Chinese culture without the Fulbright. Um, but it was not the greatest job money-wise. Yeah. <laughs> you're, not, you're not living high. I made more as a Chinese comedian than I did on Fulbright, yeah. so as an example. But, and yeah. I, I was, you know, doing the freelance academic editing partly yeah. to yeah, yeah, know, yeah. keep the bills. So, so anyway, but yeah, so you didn't want to spend $1,000 on an air purifier. And it just, it just, something seemed wrong about it to me. Like, I, you don't know what's in there and how they work, right? Like, that's, that's a... That's it's a, literally a magic box. It's a magic box. You push the button, clean air comes out, right? Mm -hmm. And, but I was like, I just don't think that there's something in there that costs $1,000. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I did research, and, and by research, it pretty much starts and ends on the Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a thing in there called a HEPA filter, H-E-P-A. Uh, it's just a mat of like polyester fibers, essentially. Mm -hmm. So if you have like a sports shirt, like a, you know, some stretchy fabric, same thing, right? Mm -hmm. If you have like a sponge or something, it's made out of that same sort of fabric, uh, you know, just plastic fibers. Um, these were invented in the 1940s. Really? They've been around for 70 years. Yeah. What were they filtering at that time? So they were actually developed in the uh, Manhattan Project. So when they were developing the atomic bomb, they were concerned, like, wait a second, what if there are atomic, you know, radioactive particles we in the air? We them. Yeah, and so they developed these, these filters. That's the technology. So what that means is they're not patented, right? Also, it's a mature technology, so lots of yeah. people have had, you know, time to develop these. And I was like, wait a second, I, I bet people are making these HEPA filters in China. Mm. And so I went on to Taobao, which is like the yeah. eBay of China, and found a HEPA filter for like 110 RMB, so yeah. like 18 bucks maybe. Yeah. And I had a fan at home, mm -hmm. and so I just strapped the HEPA filter once it came to a fan. Mm -hmm. And then that was the first do-it-yourself yeah. you know, DIY air purifier that I ever made. Yeah. And, so, and, the, and the coolest thing about this is like, I remember you telling me about doing this, and then I was like, well, that's, I remember the first time you said it, I was like, that's very interesting. I bet it has some effect. But he probably didn't like actually create a scientific, like we, yeah. like I still had a lot of faith in the big box and the magic box. I yeah. was like, there's something about that that will make it work where like this fan surely has to fail. Maybe it'll get 20 or 30% of the pollution out, mm -hmm. but like not the actual pollution. But then in that same dinner, it was literally probably like, like 20 seconds later, you were like, and I have data. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, so how did you get the data to see whether your thing actually worked? So I put this purifier next to my bed, mm -hmm. turned it on every night as I was sleeping. Within a few weeks, I, you know, I took a picture of the filter mm -hmm. every week, and the, the fan was circular and the filter's rec rectangle. Yeah. And so you could just see every week as it went by, mm -hmm. this middle circle just going to like brown, to black, to like really black, right? Yeah. And so at that point, it's like, okay, it's, clearly it's capturing something. 
but that, you know, as a PhD student at the time, mm -hmm. and there's that part of me that's like, you know, I want data on this, uh, I want to test it. I also wanted to know, if, is it getting the really, really small particles? Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's larger particles and then there's the small ones yeah. that can like really penetrate deep yep. into the lungs. A scary side fact, if a particle is small enough, it can actually directly enter the bloodstream. So if there's like lead or something in the air, some of that can go straight, straight into, into your, your blood. blood. Oh, yeah, that explains so much about yeah. who I am. Yeah, it is. It is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, right? but um, so, so 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 yeah. So how did you? What was the result after running it? You so you saw physically that it was working. Yeah. But like doing something. But then um, what would like? How did you do a anything resembling a controlled test? So I went out and I bought a laser particle counter. So this is a machine, it's a box with a, you know, it samples air and then it's got a laser inside to, to detect the really small particles. That thing cost me over $300. So just for reference, the, the mm -hmm. purifier itself is like $30 yeah. maybe. And the laser particle counter is like $300. Mm -hmm. So it cost me more to test it than it did to yeah. build it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it gave me the data and it mm -hmm. gave me, you know, knowledge. I was, I was yeah. buying knowledge, right? Yep. Um, and so I did tests and it showed like, yes, even the small particles, it was capturing those. And then, you know, it was getting my room down, you know, like 80, 90% reductions in these small particles in my bedroom. And so just by was, strapping the fan on there, I remember this, I had one, filter. I'll see if I can pull up my old uh, pictures from my apartment in Beijing, but I bought one of these, you did these DIY workshops. And so like we would show up at like, you know, a bar or like, you know, the Hutong courtyard or mm -hmm. something like that. And it was like, we're like, we're gonna do a DIY thing and it starts with savaging this box fan. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then like, you know, taking these like straps and like, you know, kind of like BDSMing the, the yeah. HEPA filter on yep. there. And then it, like everything about it was like, it was really funny. It was such a contrast to the beautiful, mysterious mm. white box that I was like instantly like, I'm like, like if he says this works and he has the data, like I see why they make that box beautiful because mm -hmm. yeah, because that's what this thing is. It's a fan blowing air through the thing. That's and right. if you don't make it look beautiful, then it's going to be hard to believe. I mean, people won't believe it. Yeah. Right. People and didn't so, believe it. People didn't believe it. People called me names on the internet. <laughs> that's for sure. There was a, there was an employee of, of Blue Air, which mm -hmm. is another that, that's a Swedish company. Yep. Uh, there you really haven't. And by the way, I don't have anything in for the Swedes. We have Swedish customers. <laughs> yeah. If you're a beautiful blonde family with your white furniture, we still want you to buy the tea. You can, um, you but, can enjoy tea. But, you um, can have an air yeah. purifier. So th I, I think that Sweden's caught some strays in this in this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I can do So what did the blue air person tell you? Oh, the people online were like, you know, I'm, I'm posting the data. So it's like grad student, you know, yeah. straps together purifier for $20. And, mm -hmm. You know, posting the data, and I, I kept telling people, like, I'm not an expert, yeah. but like, this is how I tested it. Yeah. Here's the data. If I did anything wrong, you know, tell me. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think that guy was mad because he he actually probably does really sophisticated things and designs a beautiful purifier and really, you know, yeah. does a good job. But you know, it costs a thousand dollars. Yeah. And so people were like, oh, he's a psychologist. What does he know? Mm. And you know, yeah. people attack me, but. I, I think you have the right idea, which is that seeing how ugly it is, the one of the benefits of doing that is to demystify it. Yeah. Is to say, hey, everybody, this is how it works. Yeah. And so even if you don't use this homemade purifier yeah. in, in your own home or you use this for a month and then you go out and buy another one, at least now I've equipped you with the knowledge 
to know that you don't need to spend a thousand dollars on this. Well, because it is a, it's like, here's what it is. It's air being pushed through a filter of some sort. And then you can modify the filter. You can modify how much air is going through probably and mm -hmm. probably how loud the fan is or whatever. Yep. Like, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of sophisticated engineering that goes into making the high end sure. ones, but it's like, but it was something like even, even living in Beijing where we would like, there would be hospitals and stuff like that that would advertise in their brochures they had mm -hmm. air filters in mm -hmm. the hospital. Um, I didn't know what it was. Like, I didn't know what it was doing. Yeah. I feel like it was like an HVAC system. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what an air like an air conditioner is. If, you know, you know, the air conditioner you put in the window, I hope it works. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it's actually doing. And mm -hmm. so it was kind of cool to see, okay, air, filter, and then you have the filter and they get dirty really fast. Yeah. Actually, the, the other the concern I had is sometimes you would say like, oh, the filter will last like three months or however mm -hmm. long it lasted. Six months. Six yeah. months. And like... It would be so dirty by week two, I'd be like, yeah. it must be full, right? Yeah. But, but apparently they can last. Again, this is a good thing about the data. You can yeah. find this out. Yeah. So you started slamming these together, and then um, like, what kind of came out of that? Yeah, so first I was like, put the data online. Newspapers started reporting on this. Like I said, headline is grad student straps together, you yeah. know, $20 purifier. Then I started doing these workshops, like the one that you mm -hmm. saw teaching people so i would mm -hmm. buy the fans buy the filters charge mm -hmm. people an entrance fee basically covering costs maybe yeah. a little bit little bit extra um it, you know we could charge people 200 rmb so like 20 bucks yeah. um to come in and then that was pretty much it like that was that was my plan but at the end of that so we we did three workshops and at the end of that we were like wait a second i i think there's a market for this like i there's been so much interest in these workshops yeah. that maybe we should just do this. So we started a website, smartairfilters.com, started a Taobao store, so like we're mm -hmm. on the eBay of China. And you know, we didn't have a product, we just had fans and filters and straps. So you would send people a kit? Well, we would strap it together. Okay. So like in an apartment. That's value add people. <laughs> that is the value That's add. value add. That's it, like a true. It really is because yeah. you send people a kit. No, it is. It is. It is. Like I'm one not, percent yeah. of people are going to do that. Well, yeah, you're the business school professor. Like <laughs> you, you tell me where the value is. No, but yeah, the um, but no, it was um, it was like really funny. And I remember you had, I think you had two sizes. I seem to remember yeah, there was yeah, like yeah. the big box fan and the little fan. Yep, we had the um, small one. The we called it the original. Yeah, and then we had the cannon. Yeah, which the, is oh, the, the cannon. I remember the, the, the cannon. stronger one. It did look like a cannon. It yeah. was like um, yep. but yeah, the. So anyway, so you started doing this and you started building it and was there a market? So it's one of those funny things where like the first week we started the website, my friend Gus was helping me uh, do yeah. it. And it, like I, I was just holding myself back because I wanted to ask him every day, how many orders did we get? How many yeah, orders yeah. did we get? And at the end of the first week, I think it was like five. Okay. And one of those was yours. Okay. Was it? Was I <laughs> yeah. one of the first you were, five? You were one of the first five. Oh, there we yeah. go. I thought I was late on the train. I was like this, like, yeah. <laughs> it turns out I wasn't. Yeah, Excellent. you were early. Excellent. And so, like, you know, first we, it's this gap between, like, I'm sending my baby into the world and, like, yeah. you know, admire, right? And then five orders. But then within a few weeks, it just snowballed. And, and soon enough, it was, like, December in Shanghai. Shanghai got hit with really bad air pollution. And then we were just buried under orders. Mm. We had so many more orders than we had time to, like, ship everything and mm -hmm. pack everything together. Yeah. There were days, so by this point, I'm back in Virginia doing my PhD. Uh, I have to work on my dissertation. There were days I would bike into the office, answer smart air emails all day, yeah. get back on my bike and bike home. I didn't work on my dissertation or anything uh, that I was supposed to be working on just because smart air was, was taking well, off. And I mean, I've, I've gone through um, 
moments of having that similar sort of craziness with the with the tea company mm. like you know it's weird because you like as humans you like to think i put in a day's worth of effort i get a day's worth of result but the internet doesn't work that yeah, way no. the internet is like if it goes viral you get like a, a year's worth of stuff in like three <laughs> yep. days and then it goes away yep. and then like you know it, it's um it's very difficult to plan it's like impossible. when when yeah. you do that sort of thing so like sometimes people are like you know i really do apologize to people who come to the website and you see stuff is out of stock it's like it's it's a sign of like the way the internet works is like we're not paying for ads so i don't get to control how many people see the thing mm -hmm. um and the fact that we're not paying for ads is what makes this all work by the way because if you yeah. had to pay for all these ads we would not be able to sell the tea for what we sell it for yeah. it, it works because yep. people actually go to the site and see the like i would much rather spend an hour of my time doing this and like you know, hire like we have a, we have a camera person here. We have a couple basic lights. Then give Google this money, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you know, which to Google is like you know absolutely yeah. nothing. But um, yeah, so so how did you deal with that that growth and where did it go? Man, I well, first just on your Google thing, yeah, it doing Smart Air really taught me like we we cannot at our price point, yeah eat the cost of advertising. Yeah. You can own that only works people, if you're yeah. really ripping people, people off. People don't people don't appreciate how expensive that online advertising is, really but is. also it's because they have very complicated computer systems designed to make sure there's no benefit to the ad. Like yeah. you know like yep. the moment they realize the ad is working it gets more expensive. Yep. So like it's like you know it's it's um you know I'm not going to say the entirety of online advertising is rigged, mm. but I will say it's been very difficult to find people that show for regular businesses that it works. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. I, I think that I think on the other flip side of it though is that if you did have millions of dollars to spend on advertising, you would train their algorithms mm -hmm. really, really well. Yeah. So if you were willing to eat a couple million dollars worth of ad money, you probably would come out on the other side. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, you know, is completely unsolicited advice for everybody out there. But I think you'd agree. Yeah. It's like by making like a making a good product and then yeah. sharing it in a story that people actually understand um that's like a far better use of your time than like raising money to go and give to google yeah for do ads i mean um, that, that's what so i founded smart air I, I call it a social enterprise so it's not mm -hmm. the goal for me is to not make is, is not to make money yeah i wanted to solve a problem out there of helping people breathe clean air and educating yeah. people I mean, you can go to our website right now. I will teach you how to build an air purifier. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't require you buying anything from me. Yeah. My instructions don't involve you buying anything from me. Yeah. And to me, that's a win, yeah. right? So, Well, also, I think it's like, it's sort of the thing is like, I make all this tea stuff and it's like, you don't need to get my tea. Like, mm -hmm. it's not a secret you can go and get other tea in other places or porcelain in other places or even mm -hmm. tea pets in other places. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think that the, it, 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 the knowledge shouldn't be gatekept that tight. Yeah. You know, and, and so that's where you get into it. Also, is just like uh, you get into the, the mystery box syndrome. You get into that mm. black box syndrome. Yeah. The, and like it's just I don't like living in that world. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like living in a world where I have to be careful about which secrets I keep. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's yeah. just a crappy that. way to go through everyday life. So, yeah, I like that. The, the energy behind it. So and I think there's a way to make that work yeah. as a company. And so yeah. I think the, the people who buy smart air purifiers. Yeah are people who like the fact that we are open about what we're doing. Yeah. We put our data online. Yeah. We say, you know, hey, here's another way to do it if you want to do it. People, yeah. I don't ask people to trust me. Mm -hmm. I say, trust the data, trust the, trust data. the science. We yeah. put it all out there. Yeah. And by the way, we're not sponsored by Smart Air. Like I'm not yeah. making any money by sharing Smart Air. Like it's, um, it really is like, I love that data-driven way of doing things because just like with the culture, 
like, you know, we run into this problem with the tea. People will be like, if we say we have Chinese tea, some people on the internet will be like, it must be polluted. And then the same people apparently have no worries about Japanese tea. Hmm. Um, uh, but like, it's not coming from data in either sense. Like yeah. there is, there yeah. is assuredly some tea in China. Believe me, I've tried some of it. That's like so heavy with pesticide. You taste hmm. it hmm. when it's swimming in the water, but like, it doesn't mean inherently that because it's from China, it's polluted or mm -hmm. because it's from Japan, it's pure or something mm -hmm. like that. It's not based off of data. And I would just love for more of the discourse around like whether it's culture and pub this is both culture and public health um, to be based off of like reality yeah. or at least or at least an attempt to find reality, mm -hmm. you know. And so I, it was um, it was one of the things that I really love to see. Like you actually like yeah. even if it wasn't a perfect scientific experiment, yeah. you had like experiments. You also had graphs, which yep. is really important. People, if you want to convince people of things, have, <laughs> gotta, have, gotta have graphs. graphs. Yeah, they're not going to read the words. Yeah, you gotta no. have the you gotta have graphs. So. As a scientist, I yeah. also know that <laughs> people want the figures and the exactly. don't read the paper. So yeah, so so anyway, so you started doing this, and then yeah. um, you know, so even now people can go and make it themselves, or you have like actual products now, right? Yeah, and so the goal was, you know, I started teaching people how to do the homemade purifier, and pretty soon it was it was obvious that there were a bunch of people out there who were like, you know, this is great and all, but like I don't want something that ugly. Or like, I have kids at home, I don't need them sticking their fingers in the, fan, you know, like, yeah. I just want something that's smooth, I plug it in and it works. And I was like, you know, that's honestly, that's what I wanted to. Yeah. I never wanted to make my yeah. own air purifier. You're saying I just that wanted... your, your vision of perfection was not the Canon? Like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> this long Velcro strap. <laughs> and so after that, what, what we did is, we said, okay, let's, let's make just honest air purifiers. Mm -hmm. We'll just make air purifiers that work. Yeah. Cut the gimmicks. We don't have friggin' apps or like timers and fancy lights and stuff like that. Like, just give me clean air. Yeah. Based on data, it just works. Mm -hmm. And so now we, you know, we our first air purifier is called the Square. So yeah. like air, like A I R Square. Nice. Um, and then now we have a whole series. You know, ones that are big enough to do like a whole office or like a mm -hmm. uh, like a library or a restaurant or something. What, what like do that. you do if you run out of puns? <laughs> like for the yeah. name, like, because you've already committed to the pun route. Yeah, we have some boring one. I mean, our new one's called the SA six hundred. Oh, that's um, oh. it's yeah, it's 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 painful. Ugh. As a again, as I I just have a great respect for anybody that puts like a real investment into a pun. We we took know? a long time with that one. Yeah, we yeah. tested that the yeah. heck out of that yeah. one. Yeah. So the um, but anyway, so. So you, you started coming out with other stuff and um, yeah, well, what was that like? Like how, like, cause were you like literally visiting factories and everything and trying to figure out how to do this or? Yeah, that was it. So like visiting factories, getting quotes, um, finding all the HEPA filters we could all over China and then testing them. Cause yep. that was one of the big things is like, people would tell us like, oh, this HEPA filter's better. This one's half the price. And then we test it and go like, oh, it's half the price cause it's crap, Yeah, you know? and. A lot of companies, they don't care. It says yeah. says HEPA filter. They said it's this is the data on it, so that's yeah. good. But we, you know, dude, it's like tea. It's like you know, I like I like every day. I get two, three, four um, people who are like, I, I like I'm trying Puar for the first time and tastes fishy. It tastes bad. I'm like, where do you get it? And they're like, Amazon. Where on Amazon? I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's there's a whole market that just exists to take advantage of people that are just going to hit price low to high yep. and then just like go and do the thing. And it's it's not to say that there shouldn't be budget options, because mm -hmm. I'm sure that even that crappy HEPA filter is going to be better than like, better literally than nothing. nothing. Yeah. Um, but it's like there's a lot of like 
there's a lot of money that gets made off of the fact that people are just so overwhelmed with life yeah. that they can't, they can just can't handle it, you know? That's right. And so that's in some ways with the tea, it's like, I almost feel like half of the service I give is just to say like, I don't have a thousand teas on the site. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to like everything that goes on there is going to be at least good enough that I drink it every day. Mm -hmm. And like, if you really want to get like to the deep nitty gritty of all the sort of the highest of the highest of the highest quality, like I might not have that on the site. I, I have those teas probably in my personal collection, uh -huh. but, um, but, uh, I mean, I have it yeah. on the site, but like, you know, but I can definitely help you avoid the other side, which is yep. the crappy stuff. That's worth a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth a lot for me yeah, as somebody so, who buys tea. So you were there and, and um, so you actually tested the products and you were able to come out with the way to do it. And um, what was it like, like building something from scratch from a factory in China? You know, the, <laughs> we, okay, so I started Smart Air 2013. Yeah. Three, we had three founders. We sat at a table eating dinner one day and mm -hmm. going like, we'll, we'll make an air purifier. We'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll manufacture our own air purifier. Yeah. We didn't come out with the first air purifier, like manufactured until 2017, wow. I want to say. So that was like four years. Mm. So it's a lot harder than you think, mm. right? I mean, if you, if you just start throwing money around, you can get something made, yeah. you know, or if you don't care what it looks, if, if it doesn't need to be your machine, if you want to just white label, slap your label yeah. on something that's already out there, you can get something manufactured yeah. in China in six months. Yeah. But that's not what we wanted to do. No. Like we wanted to make our own thing. By the way, so so now we have this whole series. It, you mentioned the puns, and so I'll add another yeah. one. This is our uh, new portable air purifier. Nice. This is called the QT3. Ah, I like it's, it. It's a cutie, right? Yeah. QT. Um, people say it looks like a like a heater, like an old school radio, mm -hmm. kind of with the, the little yeah. thing here. Um, but it's just a fan and a filter. So there's like a there's a filter in here that you can you can pop out. Mm -hmm. so I can. Can you hold it from the bottom? There we there go. We um, so it's just just a little filter on the inside, just a fan that's now pretty gross because I've been using this. Um, but this came out, you know, this was a big deal in, in COVID because yeah. this is portable, and so people would like, oh, I got to go to the dentist. I don't want to catch COVID, or like, yeah. I got to go sit in the classroom. The, so this was interesting. So during the during COVID, I saw that you were actually coming out with like real data in a time yeah. when everybody was like nuts. Uh, like real data about whether the HEPA filters caught COVID particles or not. That's right. And then do they? They do. They yep. do. So HEPA filters, masks, they, they capture viruses. We also were doing a ton of tests on DIY masks because that was mm. a big thing early on in COVID. Yep. Um, and our data actually got picked up by several news organizations. So there were like news organizations reporting on the tests that we were doing, you know, mm. on DIY masks. So that was that was super cool. And people were like, Oh, you're biased or whatever. You're selling masks. Like, yeah. We don't even sell masks. Yeah. You know, we're just doing this for, for yeah. the public good. Yeah. Which, which makes people very suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. there's, there's nothing. It's, it'd be better to have a profit motive. Yeah. <laughs> At least then I can, I could understand what, what you're doing. Yeah. But the, um, but again, I just really like it's, um, it's such a, like, I, I sometimes feel like as a performer and as a, you know, a guy that makes videos, I feel like it's such a weapon against the stuff I hate against the sort of like, like this, like knee jerk, like, oh, our culture is better than yours. Their culture yeah. is better. Like that sort of stuff to be able to make good video. It's just such a weapon to be able to share real stories and real culture with people. And then everybody by themselves will realize that a lot of that sort of like hyper nationalistic or like hyper extremist stuff is, is, is just doesn't have anything under it. Mm -hmm. um, and similarly, I just I look at almost at what you do in like having the actual data to test whether 
the, the, the DIY masks work or whether the, the filters work. And again, as you said, one factor, you might make a better filter. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it may not be as simple as they work or they don't. It's like, we got the one that worked. It just seems like it's such like a, it's like such a weapon to be able to, to use against that sort of misinformation. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. Speaking of misinformation, should yes. we talk about my water study? Yes, before we, oh yeah, so we're, we we're gonna be wrapping up soon, but before we go, this is something I know everybody will be interested <laughs> in as a tea person, and you're really yeah. rewarded if you wait until the end because everybody asked me this question. So everybody asked me what type of water is the best water to make tea with? And because you're a data guy, yeah. you actually tested this. So yep. tell me about your water data test, and yep. then I can refer everybody else from, from now on to this video. Cool. Yes. <laughs> so this, this is all based on my experience going to the tea shops in China, going mm -hmm. to Tea City in Beijing, you and I mm -hmm. have both been there. I get these green teas, I get these um, Longjing, Dragon Well, yep. and I, I taste them in, the, in the, the tea stall and be like, oh, this is an amazing tea. Mm -hmm. Then I take it back to Chicago, you know, start mm -hmm. drinking it at home and be like, this is just not as good. Mm -hmm. And like, what, what is, I loved this in the tea shop. And now it's, you know, the, the suspicious side of me is like, oh, they're switching out the tea. You yeah, know, they're yeah, giving yeah. me the good ones. And then they switch, you know, but it's like, no, that's not. But it. again, without yeah. information, you start thinking you're getting tricked. Yep. And it's like, that's a human thing. It just it, happens. Totally human. Yeah. And at one point, I think I was traveling. I bought water at the store mm -hmm. um, for some reason. And I was like, holy cow, this water's really good, or this tea is really good. Yeah. And I was like, I think it was the water. Mm. And so I started doing tests. And as the psychologist, I know you like people are biased. Yeah. If you believe something works, you're gonna think it tastes better, whatever. Yeah. So I started doing um, blind taste tests. And so I started at home. I would literally like, you know, blind, not mm -hmm. looking at this. I test, um, so tap water, um, I do like Brita water. So like a, mm, like like a, a simple, yeah, yeah, a simple filter. And then the third one that I'd use is um, either, first it was distilled water mm -hmm. from the store. So like a jug of distilled water. Uh, and then later I got a reverse osmosis system in my mm -hmm. home because of these tests. Um, so it's like, <laughs> it a, seems like a, like your, your hobby exists to get you really expensive equipment yeah. that is really not like, it's not like you're like, Oh, I'm going to like make a TV show. So I get a really nice camera that I can use elsewhere. It's like a reverse osmosis system is not really useful for much else. Yeah. Laser all, particle detector. Yeah. All, um, that, all that money I saved on air purifiers. I'm yeah, now exactly. spending on water. Systems. So you got, okay. So distilled or reverse osmosis water as yeah. the, as the final. So like same amount of tea. I think I would even measure it in grams using a scale just to nice. make sure that the tea was the same. You know, pour it all out and then, you know, blind, have somebody hand me the, the different teas. And I've, I've since replicated this with other people. Like mm -hmm. you think like, oh, maybe a tea expert can tell the difference. No, no, no. Regular I'd, people. I'd have people over at my house and say, let's do the experiment. Mm -hmm. Have them all out. Again, them blindfolded it's immediately obvious. Mm -hmm. The distilled water mm -hmm. or the RO, the yeah. reverse osmosis water, yeah. hands down the best. Really? Right? It, it, I've never, that experiment has never failed. And you can even see it in the color. Mm. So if you do a green tea, I don't, I don't know how it necessarily would work with a darker tea. Mm -hmm. and, and, and by the way, I think with a puar, this probably wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. But with a tea where the flavor is more delicate. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have like an Earl yeah. Grey, yeah. whatever, it's well, so that's the, strong. Uh, yeah, like, so that's the, anything where the water, like that first tea we had with the, the word they all, they say in, in Mandarin, tianshui, like, you know, sweet mm. water. Mm. Like, you know, that's the, uh, if it's got that sweet water taste, it'll definitely work better 
from the thing. My, my really janky version of this test was I actually, in the last summer, I went to uh, the Smoky Mountains hmm. and the Airbnb we had, the tap water was very sulfurous. Hmm. Like it was, it was very sulfurous. It was safe to drink, I'm sure, but it yeah. smelled bad. Yeah. And then, so when we were hiking in the woods, they had this um, small stream. Hmm. And I remember that Luyu, and the real, the real tea heads know Luyu, um, Luyu said the best source for tea water is a swiftly moving mountain stream from the middle where there's no sediment collected. Mm. Um, and so I had an empty Gatorade bottle and I filled it up with uh, river water and boiled it for five minutes or whatever mm. to make sure it wasn't going to kill me. Um, and it was, it was much better. Yeah. It was like, it was clearly better than what came out of the tap. And I, I think that, um, you know, the water quality really can affect really uh, the, the quality of the tea. So you, so do you keep distilled water on hand uh, in order to drink tea now? So at, at home, I use the RO system when I travel with my green tea. Yes, you should I'm, recommend it to me because I, I need one of those. I'm using filtered water, but uh, the, uh, you know, the... Maybe I should be getting a reverse osmosis. That's yeah. a business expense, right? If, right? Yeah, it totally, should be for totally, you. Totally. And, and what I'll say is, if, and if you have a glass, you know, a glass mm -hmm. glass like this, try it with a green tea. Yeah. So try this test. You could even just do tap versus distilled. Mm -hmm. What the what the color will look like is if you in in the RO water, the distilled water, it's much lighter, mm. a little I would say a little bit greener and a lot clearer. With the tap water, it's got sort of a yellow hue to it, almost almost brown. Mm. Um, it doesn't even look appetizing. I mean, like mm. you, from from looking at it, you'd you'd you already would, you start. You pick. You would say, you oh, would pick which one to pick. That's the better one. But again, the blind taste test, you can taste it immediately. Cool. I feel like this is like setting us up. We should now like you know cut to me trying this out on my neighbor. Oh, oh. totally should. Like it would be fun. I think the um, yeah, because I think it, the the water quality really does matter. I remember the, the one of you know tea people, the really high end tea people have all these like weird dreams, like they like they have these like visions for the perfect way they want to make tea. And I remember I met this one guy who was like he was a he was my age, but he was like very wealthy Chinese family. Um, he like has much time to spend on as much money to spend on tea as he wanted, and um, he would be like Jesse, one day I want to go to the Himalayas, and I want to drink like you know pure water from the runoff of the Himalayan sacred mountains. And then like, you know, you should come with me and we should hike up there and, and drink water from those tea mountains. And yeah. then secretly in my head, I was like, I'm going to have to be really turned into much bigger of a tea guy than I am now yeah. to, to do that. But now I'm like, that'd be a hell of a YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not there, but I'm closer than I was when he said to yeah. that, that. That sounds like a good idea. But um, prayer flag exactly, flapping in the wind. Exactly. So so then so then uh, so to reiterate, distilled is best, and then compared to the Brita or the tap, what was better? Oh, each step up you get in terms of filtration. The more you can filter the the junk out, mm -hmm. the better it was. Mm -hmm. So like the Brita was better than the tap, but the, really just to get everything out of there. So distilled water, by the way, is just, it's everything's out of there. Mm -hmm. It is just water, H2O. right? Just water. So there's no minerals, there's no chlorine, there's no pesticides So you don't need any sort of like mineral, uh, like to help the flavor adhere or whatever so to your mouth? What, so I'm, you know, not an expert in the, the chemistry of tea, but what I've, what I've read about it is that having minerals and other stuff in the water actually oxidizes the tea 
and that mm. could help explain why it's also the color difference. So that would also explain darker. why the green tea benefits the most from it, because the green tea is unoxidized, yeah. and so you want to keep it unoxidized. Whereas you maybe go. if you're maybe if you're having a black tea or something that's fully oxidized, it won't matter as much. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. But yeah, so that's very cool. We're about to finish up, but before we finish up, what did you think of the what did you think of the Dwayne Dwayne's 2010? This is pour? a great pour. It's a solid pour. One one thing I'll say about pour is that it is super reliable. Yeah. It's I, I've had the fishy mm -hmm. that you've said, so there are some cheap ones that are really mm -hmm. bad. But once you get up above the bad, yeah, you know it's 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 such a it's a reliable friend. Yeah. Whereas like when you're in the green tea, green oof. tea can be up and down, and it can be and and also like you know you, this one sat for two years or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. like you know, yeah. so that it definitely is it definitely has that reliability. So this is I great. Yeah, I want to finish up um, right before we finish. I want to. Uh, be able to do just like a little bit of a lightning round. Sure. So uh, just, I'm gonna give you just quick questions and then like very short answers, you know? Let's do it. All right, very cool. So um, uh, first question, uh, what was your favorite tea to drink when you were in China? Definitely Dragon Well, so Longjing. All right, very cool. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to get started in cultural studies? Ooh, I would say spend a lot of time in another culture and ideally learn the language if, you, if you're you know, in it for the long run. Very cool. Um, uh, what do you advice do you give to people who are interested in getting into like data studies? Ooh, start do you know find a question that you're interested in. So for me, it was like air purifiers or or the tea, you know water mm -hmm. and the tea stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, you know differences in China. Find it so find a question that you're interested in and then just start doing it citizen science style. Nice, very cool. Uh, what's the most fun thing about being a college professor? Ooh, uh, I would say it's the the flexibility. Um, the the joke that people always give is, uh, you know, being a professor is great. You can work any sixty hours of the week you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that and then what's the worst part about being a college professor? Ooh, uh, I really hate grades. So we have to grade our students on a curve. Mm. Um, so we have to have students that even end in psychology this. and like yeah. really. Yep. Is that that doesn't seem to make sense? It's it's in our you know it's our school does it that way. Okay. So you know we have to have some students that just fall on the the C's and the D's. Mm -hmm. So that's always you know mm -hmm. I hate doing that. Frustrating. Very cool. Yeah. And then um. Uh, if you could give uh, one piece of advice for people about your own tea journey, about how to continue on their tea journey, what would it be? Yeah, I would say, oh gosh, if you can ever go and sit in something like this and try different teas, that's been one of the most fun things for me, is like going to Tea City, and, and there are places like that yep. in the U.S. where you can do this. Try different types of, of a dragon well, mm. right? Um, you know, obviously there's all the different, you know, there's the puar and the green, but like try, you know, five types of the green mm. and that, that sort of experience will really, it teach you a lot. You can mm. learn a lot in an afternoon and your enjoyment will just increase from there. Very cool. Well, um, thank you so much. I don't know if you want, do you want to, uh, I don't know if you're a big social media guy, you want to give people how to follow you on, on the internet? A little bit. Probably the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. Um, so I'm at Thomas Tallhelm. So my name. Great. Um, and if you, you know, Google me, you can, you'd probably find, find your way there. Great. Awesome. And then, you know, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. It's really fun. I haven't gotten a chance to catch up with you in person in a while. Um, we did some calls over COVID, but it was, yeah. it's good to actually find be you know back in the same room and uh, for those of you who have been watching thanks again for watching you're the real the real ones if you kept all the way to the uh, to the end of the podcast um, if you want any of the teas that we drank today or any of the tea equipment or any of the tea pets that are on the table 
our Bruista iridescent unicorn kettles. All yeah, this stuff beautiful. is on the website. Aren't they nice? Yeah, They're that's like, great. You were talking about white labeling. It's like, I could just slap my logo on a kettle, but I'm not gonna do that because it takes real engineering to make a good kettle. And so Bruista's products are really good. I use them all the time. I've never had a single one of them break. Um, it's really good stuff. Uh, all that stuff is on the website, and as we kind of talked about earlier, it's like, you know, the reason that we get to do this is because uh, we hope a portion of you who are trying to get into tea will go to the website, try the tea, try the stuff, try the subscription. Uh, we have our new subscription teas that are out right now. That's the easiest way to get a good amount of tea at a really good price. Three different flavors every cycle. Um, you can get the individual box or subscribe. Uh, or we have our uh, eight tea samplers that are back in stock. So to the, your idea of trying the multiple types of tea, that's why we make yeah. eight teas in the sampler uh, so that you can try out all the different flavors. And um, yeah, it's just been really great to hang out with you and uh, oh, best of luck on all your future cultural research. And um, we, we should do some sort of comedy show where like we take some sort of cultural insight from your thing and, sure. and I jokeify it somehow. Yeah. Um, because I have a feeling like, the, it really did feel like they were coming from the same place. So yeah. very cool. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm Jesse. I'm Thomas. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye bye.